here today. We have this policy around here. If you show up for church about three times, we already adopt you. So you're our brother and sister in the Lord. Amen. If you'll have us, uh, we never label people um, here at Harvest Church as visitors. But we always welcome folk as our special guest. Would Harvest take a peek around this morning and welcome all our special guests in today's service. Praise the Lord. There have been enough testimony given, enough worship offered to God. It ought to be real easy to preach. I actually had to pull the reins in Sunday school. My wife said, whoa, now. Begin to feel the presence of God in our time of Sunday school. So today, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I'd love to preach about three verses in your presence that are recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter number three. If you will stand, amen, it's going to be available on the screen if you have a tangible copy of the Lord's Word. Amen. Even better, we'll be reading from the New King James translation of the Bible in our text today. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 16. Amen. I still hear some pages. I love to hear pages turning. Amen. And it's okay. Praise the Lord. We, we, we took the homework out of the equation for you. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got it available on the screen. Revelation 3, 14 reads as this. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Brother Anthony, would you be so kind as to lead us to the throne of God? might be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Um, for weeks we've begun to seek God with regard to messages for our church. and I thank God for the direction that He's given us, but I want to talk to the body of believers today. You say, Preacher, isn't it important that unbelievers hear the Word of God? It, it absolutely is. It's of the greatest significance. But amen, we're the, we're the vehicle through which the gospel message will be taken to the world. That's the church, the blood-bought, the redeemed, the saints of God. And if the world can't see Jesus on the inside of us, chances are we're going to never lure them to a place of worship. Amen? So whether we realize it or not, we influence people for bad or good every single day of our life. If not in our own home, in our neighborhood, it's in our workplace, on our job, in our community. We influence people for good and bad. Would it be safe today to say that in this house we live in a world full of risk takers? Would it be safe to say that? Would it be safe to say that we live in a world full of adventure seekers, thrill seekers? 
Have you not witnessed people do some of the craziest things in all of your life just for the fun of it? I believe that we're living in a world full of risk takers. Because the nature of man thrives on living life on the edge. If I were to title today's message, I want to title it Lukewarm Christianity, Living on the Edge. Living on the Edge. I believe that Jesus is writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor in John's revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we discover initially is that Jesus always commends these churches for their good works or deeds, but then moves right into open rebuke um, for the wrong they've committed against him. And we know those seven churches. Lastly, Jesus saves his harshest rebuke for the church of the Laodiceans. Somebody said, preacher, for me to grasp this, I really need to understand where Laodicea would, would, would be located. During the time of this writing, it was a city on the Lycus River. And it was well, well known um, for its location. And the Bible tells us it was surrounded by the cities of Heropolis and Colossae. And oftentimes when we read the context of this scripture, we only see the spiritual application thereof. But there's more than one application to today's text. For to really grasp the reality of what the writer is trying to say to us, we, we need to understand um, what those cities were known for. Now, the Bible makes it very, very clear that God is going to spew that person spiritually lukewarm or vomit him out of his mouth. Because the scriptures make it clear that if we are lukewarm, then we're of no benefit whatsoever. Are you listening to me, somebody? Well, let's arrive to the, to the point where we understand uh, exactly what the Bible is trying to say to us. Um, there are so many fads that shape our world every day. As a matter of fact, we're about to approach the coming new year. And how many can tell me what the biggest New Year's resolution of all time is? Y'all have done your homework. I'm going to lose some weight. I hear the body of believers, the Christian church say, if it kills me, I'm going to get in shape. You know what I determined in 2019? Um, I determined I'm already in shape because round is a shape. Can I get one amen? Praise the Lord. So I'm already in shape. Listen, listen, this is a health craze uh, that... that Studies have proven gym memberships spike. Um, people try to eat better. They incorporate uh, nutrients into their diet that are going to make better health or produce better health. Um, and and one, of those, um, one of those items that really aided people in weight loss is an item known as kale. Anybody ever heard of kale? What is, what is kale? I'm going to just give you a short definition. Wild cabbage. That's, that's what kale is. It's wild cabbage. Some of you are not going to eat wild anything until the term it will help you lose weight is attached to it. 
And if the term help you lose weight is attached to it, we will indulge ourselves in the consumption thereof. I'm preaching way better than y'all responding. But the truth of the matter is I'm going to accuse you of sponging today. So you're just taking all this in. Well, let me help you uh, uh, by knowing a little bit more about kale. It's known as wild cabbage. It's a great source of antioxidants. Uh, somebody said, what's antioxidants? Well, antioxidants prevent or slow the damaging to our cells. Kale contains vitamin K, calcium, potassium, magnesium. It reduces blood pressure, lowers the risk of cancer, and helps prevent asthma to go along with weight loss. Now, some of y'all have a kale salad for lunch tomorrow. And for supper, some of you will have a kale smoothie. You found out all the benefits that are associated with kale. So somebody's going out this afternoon and buying everything Food Lines got that says kale. Can I preach? Saints of God, everyday activities, they can hide from view. And they can threaten us even when we least expect it. Am I right? But by knowing hidden dangers, we can protect ourselves from hidden consequences. I've told you all those benefits, the perks that go along with consuming kale. You didn't think I was going to stop there, did you? Because according to the Huffington Post, Printed in the United Kingdom, kale also contains thallium. And thallium is an ingredient in nothing less than rat poison. Who'd like to have a kale salad now? Who'd like to drink about 32 ounces of a kale smoothie now? What we need to understand is that it's okay if consumed in moderation. It's okay. But the problem is the overconsumption of it reduces in things like hair loss, in nausea, in fatigue, and even possible heart ailments if we overconsume kale. Can I move on? I feel the preacher in the house. Hallelujah. I believe I've got your attention now. And Food Line can keep all the kale on the shelf. Amen? So, Pastor, what would you encourage us to do? I would encourage us to do as Jesus encouraged the church of the Laodiceans. Jesus was encouraging that church to find the right temperature. Look at your neighbor. I'm going to give you permission. Look at your neighbor. Make eye contact. Say, find the right temperature. Find the right temperature. Praise the Lord. Getting back to the story of Laodicea, Heropolis was a city within five to six miles of Laodicea. It was known for its hot springs. Are hot springs useful? Absolutely. They're useful for healing. They're useful for restoration. Colossae also, within close proximity of the city of Laodicea, was also known for its cold water. What is cold water good for? It's good for refreshing. It's good for drinking. It's good for quenching one's thirst. But let me bring us up to speed and help us understand something. 
that during the time that Jesus is writing to this church, uh, the city of Laodicea has become the Roman province of Phrygia, Pacatiana. It is located or was located in what is now Densley, Turkey. And through a series of pipes, the water from those cities would reach Laodicea. And by the time that warm water and that cold water met, guess what it produced? Lukewarm water. So then what was lukewarm water good for? I'm listening, saints of God. This sister said, take a bath. I don't want to take a bath in lukewarm water. How about you? My wife likes to take a shower till she's pink. I, most of you ladies just have this tolerance of hot water. That's you too? Amen? But for some reason or another, we formed the opinion that the only way that we're going to get squeaky clean is with boiling water. I don't understand it. But by the time those waters reached Laodicea, they were not only distasteful, but they were unsatisfying. They were no good for drinking, no good for consumption. They did not promote healing and or restoration. So, so can you help me to understand that Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, you are good for nothing. Is what Jesus is saying. Your life, your actions is not producing anything of value. As a matter of fact, you're so distasteful and unsatisfying that I want to spew you out of my mouth. This is Jesus speaking to the seven churches in Asia Minor. I love what Pastor Brian T. Henderson of Trinity Lutheran Church in San Diego, California says about living on the edge. Pastor Brian says living on the edge means living between joy and disappointment. Can I preach to Harvest Church today? Pastor Brian goes on to say that living on the edge means living between courage and fear. Aren't those the extreme opposites? That's what Pastor Brian says about living on the edge. He goes on to say that living on the edge means living between faith and doubt. Indeed, absolute opposites. Here's the clincher. Some people live on the edge by choice. Am I talking to anybody at Harvest Church today? Some people would rather live life on the edge simply because they choose to. Dangerous choice. Bad selection. To live life on the edge. Somebody said, Pastor, I don't even know what the edge is. Can I bless you? The edge is a place or a part that's farthest from the center of something. Y'all going to get this in a minute. Instead of moving close to God, what we find ourselves doing is moving to the edge. What we find ourselves doing is going to the outside limit of. Our relationship with God. Help me, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. What we find is a complacent church. What we find is a people that are satisfied just to come in for a few moments on Sunday morning and give God an offering or a tithe and feel like they've done something special. Jesus said you're a lukewarm church. Jesus said what you don't realize is that you're not living what you're professing. What Jesus is saying is indeed you're hypocritical. That's not a word we use in church. 
Jesus is saying you're saying one thing, but your life is promoting another. Oh, my God, there's a good group in here, and you're already sponging, so I, I done told this up. I might as well fix it, haven't I? Oh, praise God, somebody. People live on the edge by choice. I've never seen, I've never seen the beat in all my life. My dad would say they bungee jump and they skydive and they engage in extreme sports all for the thrill of it. I've just never seen the benefit of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane or bungee jumping off a thousand foot bridge for the thrill of it. If that's what's in, you can count me out. Hello? Praise the Lord, somebody. But how about those persons who live on the edge simply because life circumstances have placed them in dangerous situations? How about David in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18? Of verses 6 through 8. How about David? Was David living on the edge? Oh, absolutely David was living on the edge. Why? Because it happened as they were coming home. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. That the women had come out of the cities of Israel. And they were singing and dancing. And they were going out to meet King Saul. They had tambourine. You know that's the only instrument everybody's anointed to play. A tambourine. Hallelujah. The Bible said they had tambourines with joy and, uh, and with musical instruments. Stick with me now. So the women sang as they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. You don't think that would get somebody's attention? It got Saul's attention. Look what verse 8 says. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. He said they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Would you say from that moment on, David lived on the edge? Come on, y'all testify to the glory of God. Listen, I give you folk a chance to jump in like hopscotch, amen, or jump rope, and y'all sitting back trying to get the timing down. Come on, saints of God, Amen. Would you say he lived on the edge from that moment? He was a man on the run. Somebody said, but Pastor David was a man after God's own heart, but he respected who God anointed. Did David not respect who God anointed? Was he not alone in a cave with Saul and could have taken his life, but he only snipped off a piece of his garment as proof that he was there, but he would not kill who the Lord had anointed. That says a lot to me about the character of David. Fearing for his own life, Brother Fuquay, living on the edge was David. He didn't do so by choice like thousands of crazy people do in our world today. But he did so because life circumstances, amen, placed him in that dangerous situation. But look what he said in Psalm 34 and 6. This is David, the great man of God. He said, this poor man cried out 
And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I'm looking for somebody to at least wave at me and let me know you're breathing. Amen. David said, it don't matter what the situation looks like. Not only was I poor in spirit, I was poor physically, but I cried out to the Lord. And in my cry, God heard me. And when he heard me, he saved me out of all my troubles. Talking about a man living on the edge. He goes on to say in Psalm 34 and 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered him out of them all. What a God we serve today. Hallelujah. What a God we serve. David sought the Lord. He put his absolute trust in the God who was with him and the God who would preserve him. Songwriter said, where could I go but to the Lord? Amen. It saddens me to report to you today that many Christians live on the edge. Many Christians live life on the edge. Jesus indicted the Laodicean church. He rebuked them the harshest of all the seven churches in the provinces of Asia Minor. Did he not? Listen, folks, it's written right here in the Word of God. We can observe it for our own self. Look at verse number 17 of chapter number 3. And listen to what Jesus says. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Is that a rebuke? Jesus said you view yourself in the place of blessing, but what you really are is cursed. That's what Jesus said. This might be a bitter pill to swallow, but it's the loving God's truth. Amen. Now, preacher, who are you to tell me where I stand with God? Listen, throughout the entirety of the New Testament ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he echoes this thought and sentiment. And ye shall know them by their fruits. Is that what Jesus said? Somebody said, preacher, don't judge me. Only God can judge. I'm not judging you. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. People fill churches every Sunday morning. People give in the offering and tithe every Sunday morning. I'll take it a step further. People show up for church on Wednesday night. And they think just like the Laodiceans. They think that they're saved. As a matter of fact, they're convinced, Brother Arbus, that they are a Christian. They say within themselves, I know I'm saved. But Jesus says, your faith is hypocritical. Jesus said, your deeds are unsatisfying. I wish I had some help in the house of God on today. I'm just the messenger. This is what thus saith the word of Almighty God. He tells them in verse 17, your faith is hypocritical. Your deeds are unsatisfying. Amen. Let me say something to you about a true believer. A true believer's deeds will be one or two. They'll be burning up or they'll be frigid as an ice cube. In other words, they'll be hot or they'll be cold. But the deeds of a true believer will not be lukewarm. They will not be hypocritical. They will not be questionable. Amen. They're going to be burning up or frigid. 
It's the truth. It's the word of the living God. And the reality of the matter is we'll accept that from a stranger more so than we will someone who has a vested interest in us. Someone who will agonize on our knees before the God of heaven and earth. Someone who will cry, amen, aloud our name in prayer for God to intervene on our behalf. We will accept criticism or we will accept rebuke from someone who knows nothing about us before we will somebody who loves us with all their heart. I said last Sunday, I'm a shepherd, amen? I'm not a hireling, I'm a shepherd. I love my sheep. If you don't believe it, you get close enough to me, I smell just like them. Amen. There is a difference. You say, preacher, you've exclaimed that the deeds of a true believer will either be hot or cold. Let me tell you something about the deeds of a true believer. They will benefit our world in some way or another. The deeds of a true believer. Let me add this other nugget. They will reflect the spiritual passion of a life that is transformed by the love of God if we have been truly born again. If we've been truly born again. Right now would be a good time to grab your seat because it's getting ready to get personal. Right now would, it, would, it would really be about time to get white-knuckled in this service because I'm going to ask us this question. If Jesus Christ himself stood in front of us today, would he label Harvest Church as lukewarm? If he stood in front of us as individuals, would Jesus Christ say, you are a lukewarm Christian? Isn't that something to take to heart? Would he use or even ascribe the word lukewarm to us who are present in this room today? Some people want to flip the script on this scripture and say Jesus is encouraging the Laodiceans to get things right. No, he's not, friend. He's not encouraging them to be more on fire for him. He's calling them out for who they are. He says, in fact, you are a group of unbelievers. And because of such, you are labeled among the condemned. This is what Jesus is saying. Preacher, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to receive that or not. Lukewarm people show up to church. They participate in all the church's functions. Their activities convince them that they are saved and in a thriving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the popular response when you ask someone, are they a Christian? Well, I'm in the church. Are you a Christian? I didn't ask you anything about being in the church. Being in the church don't make you any more a Christian than sitting in the garage makes you a car. That's the wild factor, ain't it? I know some of y'all, I mean, listen, if sitting in the garage made you a car, you'd be a Lamborghini. Being in church doesn't make you any more in relationship with Jesus Christ than, than, than what I just mentioned. It doesn't do it, saints of God. The reality is it takes a personal confession of sin. A turning from the old self. Come on, saints of God. This ain't nothing new. This ain't nothing new. Listen. It takes confession and repentance. 
to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is only produced by faith. Y'all ain't wanting to hear this. Y'all can shout next Sunday. But the truth of the matter is, it's a lot of folks sitting up in church on Sunday morning, just like the Laodiceans. I said a lot of church folk. I didn't say Christians because I don't believe that a Christian would behave like the Laodiceans did. I don't believe that a person that's experienced a genuine, amen, encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and made a confession of faith through, through repentance and forgiveness of sin, I don't believe their behavior would mirror that of the Laodicean church. I believe our actions would be either burning up or as cold as an ice cube. Hello? But the truth of the matter is, people are filling churches every Sunday morning with the same attitude as the Laodiceans are. If Jesus Christ himself stood in front of us today, would he label us as lukewarm? Or would he say you're burning up? The fervor of God is upon your life and you are doing everything in your power to advance the kingdom of God. That's what a Christian does. Brother Khan told us in our time of Sunday school this morning, in the book of John, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. And I want to ask you which one has the most value. You ready? Obedience out of obligation or obedience out of love? I'll take number two, Alex. Because loving God out of obligation is no good at all. But loving God out of obedience, that's the weightier issue. Jesus said, this will be the proof in the pudding. Can I say that? Jesus said, this will be the proof in the pudding. That if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Didn't Jesus say to that hand group of men that he selected by this, shall all men know that you are indeed my disciples if you have love one for another? This is some of the mindset that we've adopted as church people. I'm not going to say as Christians, Christians don't think like this, but church people, they think like this. Well, I can love them from a distance. Where in God's name did that come from? What demon in hell did you allow to provoke that thought process into your mind? I can love them from a distance. Remember I talked about love out of obligation? You know what some people say? Well, I got to love them because that's what the Bible said. That's not love at all. That's not love at all. If you get upset with that, there's a great big altar right here. We can come to Jesus. We can come to Jesus together if that upsets you. But the truth of the matter is there have been many church folk that said it. I got some sad news for you. The devil tried many, many, many times to kill Jesus. But he was unsuccessful. So I heard a preacher say he hired church people. It was the religious people who rose up against Jesus. Now, nobody killed Jesus. I got some sad news for that preacher. Nobody killed Jesus. He willingly laid down his life. Hallelujah. 
The devil is a lie. Praise God. But Jesus is calling the church of Laodicea a group of unbelievers. That's what he says. Look at Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Does that not prove they're unbelievers? The word of the Lord. You know the best way to interpret Scripture? With Scripture. You say, preacher, how do you know that they were not in right standing with God? Jesus just told them to be repentant. That proves they're not in right standing with God. That proves that they are not Christians, but they are sinners. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, you're lost. You don't even realize it. You're so caught up in going through the motions. Some of y'all came to church today because somebody would call you and ask you why you weren't here. Truth or fiction. Some people just don't want to be bothered. So they'll show up to church to keep from people calling them. I might as well preach this and hair lip the devil. Hallelujah. The Lord rebukes them and he disciplines them by commanding their repentance. Is that what we observe together right here in verses 19 and 20 in the word of God? That's what we see, saints. That's what we see. Pastor, how can I right this ship? How? How can I gain God's good graces? How can I get on right standing with God? Repent. Repent. Confess, repent, and be restored. Look at your neighbor. Find the right temperature. Find the right temperature. Boy, we struggle with that here at Harvest Church too, don't we? Oh, my God. Do we not struggle with finding the right temperature? It's hot in here. Put some clothes on. It's cold in here. We struggle. We look at those guys with keys to those <laughs> thermostats. I'm about to burn. And at your beck and whim, they, they dart to a thermostat. Sister Linda said, you've worked at that cold storage for 26 years. You about freeze me around here in this house. I said, I paid the bill, and I ain't sweating if I ain't got to. She said, you're so ungrateful. My sister-in-law came to babysit our children. How many, listen, guys, how many of you know your house? How many of you know your house? My sister, true story. My sister-in-law comes to babysit. I walk in the door. Who's touched a thermostat? You are so ungrateful. My sister came to watch your children, and you're going to gripe over a thermostat. I said, listen, I can't peel no more clothes off, but y'all can put on more clothes. And there are throws right behind the couch in that basket. So if you're cold, you can cover up. 
My cousin told, told a true story of one of the fastest growing churches in this country down near Charleston, South Carolina. And his wife said, I love the services there. The ministry's dynamic. The preacher is awesome and expounding on the word of God. But you can see your breath in that church. She said, I'm not telling you a lie. I'm being honest. She said, you can seriously say, and see your breath. Well, I knew she wasn't going to let that lay there. So she said to me in the due process of time, I'm going to ask one of the church officials. My God, man, my bones hurt sitting in this thing. I love the worship. I love the ministry. But it's frigid in here. So she did. She was brave enough. She approached somebody in church leadership, and she kindly asked them, why in the world do y'all keep it so cold in this church? The brother just squared his shoulders and looked her in the eye and said one word. Some of you won't get it, so I'll explain it after I say it. But he looked her dead in the face, and he said, modesty. Some of y'all looking around at your neighbor. Let me pull out my iPhone, see what modesty means. Let me. Hello? Can you do the math? It's near the Atlantic Ocean. And people dress very scantily. Yeah. You probably wouldn't be surprised if somebody didn't show up to church in a bikini with a sheer wrap around them. And then brother said, uh-uh. We ain't having that here. We're going to fix them, sisters. They're going to wear some clothes if they come up in this house of work. Somebody give God some glorious praise. Yeah. You come up to worship God in here, you're going to look like a person. You're going to be dressed in modest apparel. If it ain't for sale, you ain't going to be advertising it. Well, I might as well hush. I done got y'all in the ditch now, y'all. Thinking all kind of crazy stuff, but let's just be for real about it. Let's just be for real about it. We ought to know how to look when we come to God's house. Amen. The sister said, well, that explains it. Don't you want the best that God has for you? Can I ask you that? Don't you want the best that God has for you today as his child? You say, preacher, how do I get God's best? How do I get God's best? Let me start by telling you that God wants us to completely surrender to Him. He wants us to completely surrender. He wants to sit on the throne of our life. Is that not God's rightful place? I'm going to tell you what Brother Rob Cole said in the service here last night. Brother Rob Cole said if we had a balance scale and we put God on one side... And the devil and all the demons of hell, it would not be balanced. Are y'all getting that? How many of you know that God has no rival? How many of you know God has no equal? Y'all need to act sanctified this morning and act like you know what I'm saying. Amen to God. We ought to have been popping up around here like popcorn when we realize the God that we serve has no rival. Kings and kingdoms cannot rival God. And you don't believe that his place is on the throne of your life and your heart? 
That's all that God desires, to sit on the throne of your life. You know what God wants from us? God wants total commitment. You say, preacher, what's total commitment? What does that mean? Total commitment is the channel through which God's best and biggest blessings flow. Oh, Lord, Jesus wants to show us his heart. How many receive that today? How many believe that Jesus wants the best for you? You know what we said in our Sunday school lesson this morning? Brother Con was talking about um, John 14 and 14. Why do you know that scripture so well? Why do you know John 14, 14 so well? Because in the year 2015, when my grandson was born, micro-premie, one pound, eight ounces, a Bible was placed on his incubator, and I either read, sang, or prayed with him almost every visit. Received a telephone call one day. He's not doing well. Oh, if you've ever prayed, you need to pray. How many know? How many of you know when you're the pastor that everybody else is looking at what you have to say? How many know when you're in a position of spiritual leadership that everyone else is drawing off your response? Well, lo and behold, as God Himself would have it. One of the last places I read before I got that call was John chapter 14. And when I received that call, I said, is the doctor in the room? God have mercy. person on the other end of the line was about that far from a panic attack. You feel me? I said, is the doctor in the room? I said, tell the doctor to pick up the Bible on the incubator. It's already marked. It'll take minimal effort at best. But just open it, Timmy, to where I have it marked. And tell the doctor to read one verse of John 14. That verse, verse 14. If you ask anything, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I ain't the only one feel like shouting about right now. I said, tell him to pick up that Bible. Open it up and read verse 14. Verse 14 said, if you ask anything in my name, I. I ain't the only one about to have a running fit. Glory to God, somebody. You say, preacher, I don't understand the depth of that. Listen, number one, it has to align with the Lord's will. Jay, we can't jump off the deep end and go ask something we ain't got no business asking. But I'm asking God for the health of my grandbaby. And I stood in faith where I was. I couldn't leave where I was at, Jules. I couldn't leave. I said, I can't just drop what I'm doing, but tell that doctor to pick up that Bible. Open it to John 14 and 14. And John 14, 14 says, If 
you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How many believe he'll do it? Sister Jerry, will he do it? I said, will he do it? Who else in here believe he'll do it? I'm trying to talk to somebody. I said, who else in here believe if you ask it in his name, he'll do it? Don't you want God's best? Don't you want God's best? Hallelujah. How do I get God's best? Make a total commitment to God. And you'll receive God's best. You'll receive God's best. Come on, somebody need to come to the altar of the Lord right now. God's speaking to heart in this service. Won't you get up from where you are? Come on to the altar of God. You don't want to be lukewarm. You don't want to be rejected by God. You don't want to be condemned or rebuked, but you want to be accepted in the Father. Come on. good a father that God is for Jesus wants to reveal to us the heart of God he tells us in, in a story in Matthew chapter number 7 real short story 
Jesus tells us the heart of the Father. Anybody listening? Listen to what he says in verse number 7. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you? Who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do we ask for things we don't need sometimes? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we ask for things that are as deadly as snakes. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? No. He's your son. You love him. Even nature itself teaches you, Robbie, to give those things that are necessities, those things that are needed. And then he says, how much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You want the best. How many want God's best today? I just need to see a hand of everybody who want the best from God today. You know what God said through the prophet Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you hope and a future. How many know that God knows the future? God knows the future. His plans for us, listen, His plans for us are good and full of hope. God longs to do nothing more than to bless us. But preacher, does that mean I won't ever experience pain, suffering, or hardship? No. It doesn't mean you won't experience those things. It simply means that God's going to bring you to a glorious con conclusion. That God is going to bring you an end with hope and a future. Can somebody just thank God for that today? Amen. how do I receive God's best come to grips with the real you come to grips with the real you you know what a sober assessment will do a sober assessment my friend will help us discover who God's created us to be brother Arts. how many remember several weeks ago that I said my prayer life has been God I, I'm not even concerned anymore with what I want because my desire is what you want for me how many remember that have you made that the cry of your own heart have you said, Lord, I'm not even interested or remotely concerned with my desires anymore because my heart is moved to only desire what you want for me. Hallelujah. And I really need to share this last nugget with you. You receive the best from God when you overcome the evil that others have aimed at you. Hello? Somebody said, but preacher, I've experienced the worst hurt in the world. I've been church hurt. Oh, boy. Well, let me tell you something. Don't wait till you feel like forgiving to forgive. Don't wait till you feel like forgiving somebody to forgive them. Why, preacher, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Because asking God to help us empowers us as we go through the forgiving process. 
Do you know where? Can you find for me Romans chapter 12, Brother Dylan, verses 17 through 21? This is important, class, and I, I, I want us to grasp this. I want us to grasp this. Overcome the evil that's aimed at you. Repay no one evil for evil. But have regard for good things in the sight of all men, the Bible says. It is possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will reap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. You say, preacher, where in the world? Listen, that's in Romans chapter 12. Guess what else is in Romans chapter 12? Verses 1 and 2. I beseech ye therefore, brother, by the tender mercies of God. Be ye what? Be ye what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that what the Bible says? How can I do it, brother Mick? How can I do the opposite of what people have done to me? Isn't that what Christians do? That's what the Bible said. The Bible said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. That's the Bible. That's the opposite of what's been done to you. Saints of God, that's what we're to do as Christians. Replace evil with good. You say, preacher, I don't know if that's a cost I want to pay. Well, I can tell you one thing. It's not impossible. It's not impossible with God. Because through Him we can do all things. Would you stand all over? The, I want to make it easy for somebody. Because I feel that God is tugging at the heart of individuals in this room right now. I want to make it easy for you. Now we have a policy here. and That's if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw a person. It's useless for us to drag a person. But I believe in standing, you've already made one step closer to the altar of God. And if you need to come today, the altar of the Lord is open. He's open right now. Perhaps some of us in this room are living life on the edge right now. We may even feel like our lives are falling apart. But if we'll put our trust in the Lord, and we'll take a conscious effort to draw closer to Him, what does James tell us in James 4 and 8? If we draw closer to Him, what does God do? He draws closer to us. But listen, there's more to it than that. He draws closer to us as we cleanse our hands. He says we're sinners and we purify our hearts. It's only when we rid ourselves of the sin in our life that God can draw closer to us because God can't live where sin abides. Somebody missed a good place to give the Lord praise. So what am I encouraging you today? To do what am I encouraging you to do under the sound of my voice lead a pure life stop living life on the edge God called you to a life of joy and peace brother Jason in the Holy Ghost refuse to be content 
with living on the edge. Who will come? Who will come today right here in the presence of God? Say, Pastor, I need prayer. Would you pray with me? Who will come? The altar of the Lord is open. Come on right now. I believe people desire to come.